0: Hi, this is Bob Heiler of the Bankruptcy Law Success Podcast, where we introduce you to successful bankruptcy lawyers as well as powerful ideas that can transform your bankruptcy practice. Today, I'm speaking with Don Golden, the owner of the Golden Law Group in Brandon, Florida, which is 20 minutes east of Tampa. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. So my first question to you is, Okay, so you're 20 minutes east of Tampa. What's going on with Tampa and St. Petersburg? Because I've already interviewed Christy Arkovich and Mike Ziegler, and they both practice in that middle district of Florida. So what's going on there? (laughs) Going on in what way? Just just a lot of bankruptcy activity in Florida, I guess I mean, right right in that Tampa area.
1: I don't know why exactly. I mean bankruptcies have been down in our district consistently year over year for since I don't know back since about two thousand ten, which is rare for our district uh-huh. from historically speaking, there are a lot of bankruptcies filed in our district yeah. and it, I think when you look back and typically. You know, we don't usually go more than two years of down. Oh, yeah. And But now, I've looked back as far as 2010, and I think every year has been down, including 2018. Yes. So bankruptcy yeah. filings have gone down. I know you talked to, to Christy, yet like you said there, she's kind of pivoted more to student loans and things like that. And kind of away from bankruptcy, yeah,
0: which is great. I mean, it's a great way of, of kind of jumping to a growing market. They say four trillion dollars in student loans. So, I mean, bankruptcy is still an important way of discharging student loan debt. It's still a necessary part of it. So, she's still a member of the bankruptcy bar. But yeah, that's a oh, for sure. And and there, you know, there's de-
1: definitely. I think there's, and she she knows way more about this than I do. But you know, I think there's definitely a trend. To make student loans dischargeable a little bit easier, I think uh, mm-hmm. I think the standards softening a little bit, but you know that's not really my specialty. Sure, you know, so I definitely defer to people like Christie on that. But sure, but uh, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on. There's definitely a lot of bankruptcy lawyers around, though, in this area for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, maybe we could start by you know just backing up. I like to hear how you got started. I, I read a little bit of your bio on your website, but maybe you could just tell me how you got started and why you went to school in Maine and then moved to Florida too.
1: Well, I grew up in Maine. So I I moved in uh, Augusta, Maine, graduated from high school there. And I went to, I ended up graduating from the University of Maine at Augusta, right in my hometown. I I really worked my way through college for the most part. And I worked in a supermarket and basically I was working pretty much full-time. I was working 30 to Thirty-five hours a week in the supermarket,
2: wow. and
1: you know, I, I paid my way through college. With you know, I had like one small loan from a college I went to, uh, you know, a more expensive school, not a state school, mm-hmm. that I borrowed, and so I had I owed like fifteen hundred dollars when I graduated from college.
2: Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah,
1: yeah. I worked my way through school and I paid as I went, and so I spent my last two years of college living at home with my with my mom, so that saved a lot of money there. Between that and working and just paying cash, it, w- it really helped me. When it came time to go to law school, I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay my way through that. You know, work my way through that. So I knew I was going to have to borrow money, and I just didn't want to have debt, really, going into law school t- to undergrad debt because that just be too much.
0: Well, Don, let me let, let me pause you right there and say, I mean. Your aversion to debt is interesting because you did go on to practice a bankruptcy law. So where where did that come from? Why why were you so averse to debt? Was there a childhood experience perhaps or just values or what?
1: Well, I was raised by a single mother and, you know, my father... Wasn't a big part of our life. He, my parents divorced when I was six, mm-hmm. so it was my sister and my and myself. She's one year younger than me. So my mom, she she did really well raising us on her own with really no financial help, and she she worked really hard. And so I, I think that may have played a part in it. Mm-hmm. I really don't remember my mother having much debt. You know, I know that she had a mortgage on her house and, and a car loan and stuff, but I I mean I don't really remember my mother having. Credit card debt and things like that, but I I don't know. I think I've just been sort of fiscally conservative, probably because I started working at the age of fifteen, mm-hmm. or or even a little bit younger than that, with a pa- not a paper route at like ten or twelve.
0: That was my route. I'm gonna put a shout out for paper routes. I think I started when I was <laughs> thirteen. My dad lost his job, and so I started a paper route. So that's where that's right. where my interest in bankruptcy law comes because oh. I always thought my dad should have declared bankruptcy. But he didn't, and uh, we had to lean on the house and everything. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So no, that's fine. So I don't know. I just think it, you know, just
1: because I started working so early in life, mm-hmm. I, I, that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I, I don't know that I had a conscious aversion to debt back then, which, I, but I definitely do now. You know, for sure. Mm-hmm,
2: yeah. um,
1: because I now I see the pain that it causes my clients. So, yeah. but for some reason, I don't know, I just, I just was drawn not to borrow money, but uh, I didn't avoid, I had to borrow money to go to law school,
2: Yeah,
1: but I still worked in law school too. This uh, I went to school and they kind of didn't like you working that much, but I, I just felt like I had no choice. I, I, I felt like I had to work some. So I think I, I did not work my first, my first term of law school. But then after that, I got a job, and I worked up until my last two terms, which I took. I took a double course load just because I wanted to get out of school. I just wanted to finish it up, and so oh, wow. I took. well, it was double. I, we we took nine credit hours. I, I we went to school year round. We had three term three terms a year, so we did. We were typically doing nine credit hours a term, I think, and I did eighteen in my last two, just because I really and it, it kind of coincided with the bar exam. I I wanted to. I was going to graduate in August or something like that. And then there wouldn't have been a bar exam until February. And so I really wanted to get out in time to take the July bar exam. Sure. But that didn't work out either. because.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what happened?
1: Yeah. Well, so although I wasn't close with my father, he, he died like two weeks before the bar exam.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: And, and you know, I, I, he, I had to go back to Maine and kind of take care of his financial affairs up there. And sure. Things like that. So I ended up putting off the bar exam until until when uh what was after that February anyway
0: okay well at this point in the story you're still in Maine, so how did you end up going to Florida? Well
1: first I went to Michigan to go to school so when I was in when I was in college I took a business law class I fully at that time I kind of thought I was just going to stay in the re- retail business be a manager you know at the supermarket and hopefully work my way up to be a district manager or something like that mm-hmm. but I took business law and I really liked the business law class and it, it kind of re kindled a thought of going to law school for me. I, as a, as a young child, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and we went to church every Sunday. I'd come home and I would get up on this stool. We had this little step stool and I'd get up on that and and I would start preaching kind of. So I, I felt like back then when I was a real little kid that I would either be a preacher or a lawyer because I just wanted (laughs) to, I like to argue. I'd like to argue a little bit back then too. So uh, when I was really young, I, I, said, yeah, I think I'll be either a preacher or a lawyer. But being a preacher wasn't all my calling. So in college, though, the business law class kind of decision for me, I said, I definitely want to go to law school. But I spent six years getting my undergraduate degree, just because of this, you know, I transferred schools four times my first four semesters, I kept having different goals, like one minute, I was going to be on Wall Street, and the next minute, I was going to be a business teacher and a football coach. And I just, you know, I was young and I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do. So I transferred a bunch of times and lost a lot of credits during the transfers. And it wasn't until probably my third year of college that I really decided to focus and settle down and, and get a degree, you know, and I, 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 I in accounting, mm-hmm. but I kind of, I kind of knew I didn't want to be an accountant. I, I felt like that was kind of a sort of a boring career. At least it felt like it to me. That's okay. So, so anyway, I, Took that business law class and decided I wanted to apply to law school. But my grades went off the best because, you know, I was was working full-time. Sure. Pretty much full-time. And I was also having fun, as college students do. Mm -hmm. So my my grades weren't terrific. So I applied to the one law school that I knew I could get into. I'm sure I could have gotten into others, but... There again, here's here's the fiscally conservative part of me again. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on call, on uh, law school applications. Mm-hmm. So I said, I know I can get into this school. I'm going to apply to this school. And it was Thomas Cooley Law School in Lansing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the only school I applied to. I got in and I ended up leaving to go to Michigan to go to law school. Okay. From there, after law school, well, as I was getting close to finishing law school, my cousin had gone to New England school in Boston. And she got her Massachusetts license and her New Hampshire license and couldn't find a job in either state. So she went, came down to Florida, got her Florida license, and got a job right away. Mm-hmm. She was two years ahead of me in school, so I saw what, you know, what her path was. And at the time, I really did want to go back to New England. I I wanted to live in Massachusetts or Maine, Mm -hmm. but my mother was sending me articles about people not being able to get jobs. You know, lawyers were coming out of law school and taking jobs as paralegals Mm -hmm. just because the legal market was so, so bad back then. I felt like I had to have a job. Just couldn't imagine. I was $60,000 in debt from school. I couldn't imagine not having a job as a lawyer to be able to pay for that debt. So I just decided I was going to Florida just because I Looked like the job market was better here, and and I also had two friends from high school that were living in Tampa at the time.
0: That's great, but so you're graduating from law school in '97. Right. I I graduated from college in '96. I remember that job market until from '97 to you know 2000 it was booming. I mean that's a tough market for bankruptcy. Did you start in bankruptcy in '97? What was that in like in '97? Uh, so when I came to Florida, I uh, my friend's mother
1: introduced me to an attorney that she knew
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I went to his office and met with him and just talked to him a little bit and he was here in Brandon. Brandon's just a small uh, it's not a small suburb, it's a big suburb of Tampa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's not what I thought. I didn't I didn't I never imagined I'd be in Brandon. You know, I thought I'd live in Tampa. But sure. I was introduced to this attorney in Brandon. And he and I hit it off. And he, he hired me right away. I hadn't I hadn't even taken the bar exam yet. Mm-hmm. It was the summer before the bar or a few months before the bar exam. He hired me to help him with Social Security disability cases. Mm-hmm. So I was prepping his Social Security disability cases for him to go to hearing on. You know, I was writing briefs and doing medical summaries and stuff like that for him to pr- help prepare him for the hearings on Social Security cases. Sure. So that's what I started doing. But while I was in law school, I worked at a law firm, and the attorneys there it was it was all administrative law they they wrote briefs that's all they did is write briefs to regulate public utilities so they were working for the big auto companies, and they were just trying to keep the rates low for the auto companies and that's all they did all day is write briefs to the public utility commission, and they really weren't that happy in their jobs. so it was kind of kind of dull mm-hmm. and so talking to them, they were young attorneys and you know they talking to them they they didn't really love what they were doing and one of them told me that he had a friend in chicago that was doing really well practicing consumer bankruptcy law so i kind of got the thought in my head while i was in law school that i would like to do bankruptcy work so i, I took bankruptcy courses in, in law school oh,
2: cool.
1: and wanted to do bankruptcy and the, the attorney that i ended up working for in Brandon did do b- bankruptcy, but he had an attorney already that was doing that for him. So the only thing I, that he had for me was social security. Mm-hmm. So I took it, but but that attorney ended up leaving within a year of me being with the firm. So actually it was probably even a little sooner than that, probably within six months. Sure. So as soon as I got my license, I moved over and started doing the bankruptcy work for the firm.
0: Yeah. And is it is still fun? Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah. I mean, from there, I worked for him for three years and then I went to work for at the time they were called debt relief legal centers. They were one of the bigger filers in Florida. And I, all I did is go to court and I did all the court work. They were, they were a big volume filer. So there was a lot of things that were getting screwed up in the, in the uh, offices. Cause they were just moving so many files True. and you know, it was kind of my job to go in and clean them up in court. So that was a good learning experience. I learned a lot about bankruptcy law and about how to act in court and just how to represent our clients in court and i ha- and and one of the attorneys at that firm, one of the owners of the firm was a was a really good me- mentor to me as well he really he was a really good lawyer and he taught me a lot about learning about the bankruptcy code when you're when you're in a code based practice area, you have to know the code mm-hmm. and he taught me that and he explained to me how important it was to know the bankruptcy code and so when I would be in three forty one meetings waiting for my cases to be called, I had a code book and I was reading the code and it was because he told me to do that. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have known to do that. I wouldn't have even thought of it if he hadn't told me that. So
2: mm-hmm. that
1: that ended up being really good advice. Awesome. From there, because I was in court so much and I dealt with you know all the creditor attorneys and the chapter thirteen trustee and the chapter seven trustees, it led to an opportunity to be a staff attorney for the chapter thirteen trustee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I went I, I left that firm and went to work as a staff attorney for the chapter thirteen trustee. And I did that for eleven months, but at the time there was very limited r- room for growth as a staff attorney at, with the trustee. Mm-hmm. The Chapter 13 trustees tend to stay in that job for a long time, and there weren't many openings. And
0: Wh- why? I've noticed that too. Why do they? What <laughs> makes that job attractive? Is it? Uh, is it that financially remunerative?
1: It's a good gig. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I I don't know exactly what they make. They make in a high one hundreds you know but probably right around two hundred thousand dollars a year i believe is probably what the salary is somewhere around there no stress well i wouldn't say there's no stress but you're not typically you're not technically part of the u.s trustee's office you're a separate entity you're you're on you know you you run your own business
2: mm-hmm.
1: the, the u.s trustee oversees your activity but they you're not really run by the u.s trustee so it's 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 a good it's a good gig you know so, and, and, and to be honest with you, being a staff attorney for the Chapter 13 trustee was the best job I ever had. I, I loved it. But I knew that the income potential was limited.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I know they're paid a little better now than they were when I was there. They did a, right after I left, they did a study to see how the staff attorneys were paid as in relation to other attorneys, like in the Department of Justice system that were at the same level and things like that. And my understanding is, is they got pretty good raises
2: after I left, but
1: I left in 2002. And at that point in time, we'd had one child and I, I really, my son was sick a lot. He he had ear infections constantly and, I, and we knew it was because he was in daycare.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my wife was a teacher. So, you know, I, I really wanted to figure out a way to replace her income. And I, I kind of said, you know what? I'm going to, I think the only way to do it is really if I start my own business. Mm-hmm. So we decided to give that a shot. My wife's from Iowa and I'm from Maine. Neither one of us were in love with Florida. So if this doesn't work, we're going to go, we'll move somewhere else. I'll get my license in Maine or Nebraska, or someplace like that. So we could be closer to some family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It ended up working. We started in 2002 and ended up, ended up making it. So we've been in Florida the whole time. <laughs>
0: yeah. One of the more interesting things that you told me in terms of well, you told me about your volume before the podcast. Are you comfortable talking about the volume that you're doing now? The volume of filings?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, what you? Oh, you want me to say what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. So last year we averaged about 30 cases a month filed filed cases, and and now we're on track to do about 40, 39 or 40 cases a month. Yeah. That's the goal for this year. That's a combination of sevens and thirteens.
0: So that's a lot.
1: Uh, yeah. We're not the top. I mean, we're we're near the top, but we're not best. we some months we're the t- number one firm, but we're not not typically. We're usually number two mm-hmm. in Tampa. Yeah.
0: Who's number one in Tampa?
1: Uh, most of the time, it's Robert Geller, but there's another firm that's really cu- coming fast, and that's they're they're, they're called Debt Relief, actually. <laughs> okay. So the firm I used to work for was Debt Relief, and this firm was founded by one of the. Former debt relief partners, sure it has the same name it's still it's debt relief something they they I forget the exact title of it they, they he changed it slightly mm-hmm. and they're coming pretty fast in the market for sure mm-hmm. and I know why i mean they're they're doing zero dollar bankruptcies, you know the zero down bankruptcies
0: well, that's definitely something I wanted to get into, but one of the things that I was really impressed by when I was doing a little research on your practice is that you have seventy one reviews on Google for your brand in office. That is a lot. Um, yes. So you must have a strategy for doing that. Yes. But before, before we get into that strategy, how did you, I mean, having so many good reviews is a huge factor for ranking on Google Maps, and you actually dominate the Brandon area in some parts of Tampa. So first of all, congratulations. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Second, how did you know that reviews were important, and what's your strategy for ranking or getting reviews?
1: Well, the strategy is we ask for them. You you don't get what you don't ask for usually. Some people will on their own be so happy that they're going to go out and leave a review for you. But we find that if you ask for them, you're more likely to get them. And we we tend to ask for them when the client's the happiest. Mm -hmm. So when my staff is trained that when they're speaking with a client, and they're helping them solve a problem, and they're showing that they're really happy with what we've done for them. Mm-hmm. That they ask, they say, "Oh, well, I'm I'm really glad that you're you're happy with with what we did here. How well, would you possibly give us a review on Google?"
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and we find that people are really more than happy to do it when you ask for it, uh, most of the time.
0: So there's there's two kinds of happy moments. The first one is. At the 341 meeting right after they realized they never had to be, go, go to court again. Right. And the second one's after the discharge. Right. When do you strike in terms of the maximum happiness moment? When do you find his best? Usually what we do it when
1: we're on the phone with a client. The client's called in with a situation or an issue or we're calling them to let them know that the case is finished or whatever it is. It's we usually do it over the phone at a point in time when we talk to them over the phone sure. and that we we can hear the the joy in their voice. Yeah. And and when we know that they're really happy, we usually go ahead and and ask for that review. Awesome. I've given a little incentive to to the staff when we get a 5-star review. On Google, I buy everybody in the office lunch, so we, do, we call it free lunch Friday sure and when we, we the whole office gets rewarded when we get a five star review, I just buy lunch for everybody when we have a, and we celebrate we celebrate that in the conference room, we all eat lunch together on Friday and every time we get a five star review so it's a nice team building exercise and it's just a good way to reward the team for for doing the work necessary to that, you know keep the clients happy and make them willing to give us reviews
0: that's awesome i do marketing with for bankruptcy attorneys and when i talk to my clients i often tell them there's nothing more important for your practice than getting more reviews
2: Hmm. interesting
0: I mean, look. If you already have 71 Google reviews for your branding in office, okay, getting to 72 is not going to be critical. But if you're in an area where you're trying to, you know, rank up, and someone has 19 reviews and you have six, if you get to 20 reviews, mm-hmm. you're going to own whatever suburb you're you're targeting. You know, it's going to be hard to break in to you know Manhattan with 20 reviews but if you're in Brandon or some area like that or even parts of Tampa Mm -hmm. 20 reviews is a lot and so that's what I tell people you know don't write dumb blog posts if you have competitors that have more five-star reviews really focus on that Well, I totally agree with that
1: 100% yeah Yeah. Uh a long time ago I was it was it was I forget what year it was but it was it was a long time ago I was introduced to a reputation company and they would they were telling me about reviews and everything and I just bought into it and so created this strategy to get them. Sure. I don't know. It was, it was before, I think it was before it was really the thing. You know what I mean? I don't know that it mattered as much when I started getting them, but I definitely recognize that it, it matters a lot now.
0: Do you realize that you're like number, you're in the top three as far west as Temple Terrace, Del Rio, Palm River, Clare, I don't know these places, but these are places in Tampa. Yeah.
1: Right. But they're pretty close to Brandon, to be honest with you. Those places are, you know, all pretty close to my Brandon office, really. Okay. Temple Terrace. Temple Terrace is a 10-minute drive down the interstate, probably 15 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's they're all driving distance. Now, they would, they're definitely Tampa, but they're not too far from Brandon. I can definitely get folks from Temple Terrace to drive to Brandon. But I, I looked at this map of where all the bankruptcies were being filed in the district, mm-hmm. and I kind of zoned in on this area. In Tampa, where a lot of bankruptcies are being filed, and we opened a small office over there. I don't know, probably three months ago, and we really haven't done any marketing for it or anything. Right now, we just we're just taking appointments as we need as we need to over there. If they if they call in and they they don't want to come to Brandon, then we do have an option for them in Tampa. But that's my goal for this year is to is to actually increase the Tampa location and, and have a little bit or better impact on the tampa market and as a a whole Mm -hmm. Um, because my entire strategy has been on brandon my when i started in 2002 i got a website really quickly and the domain is brandonlawyer.com i decided there's a lot of people out in this area out in eastern hillsborough county Mm -hmm. and i I just decided i was going to try to own eastern hillsborough county yeah and the strategy worked so but now it's time to think about the next step and for me the next step is definitely getting more into Tampa.
0: What about Lakeland to the uh, to the east of Brandon, have you thought about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lakeland's a good good market. Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted to do Tampa first was just because of, uh, you know, it's the office is drive is pretty close to court house, not really close, but mm-hmm. it's a place for my attorney that can go to in between hearings and stuff like that. Sure, sure. And so it was. It's kind of serving two purposes for us. It's, sure. You know, trying to it's trying to draw more clients from Tampa, but also being a place that she can go without having to drive all the way back to Brandon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She's got something in the morning and something in the afternoon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Type of thing. So, but Lakeland, Lakeland's an option for sure. But you know, here's the thing. We talked about my aversion to debt. I will not. I, my business has no debt. Mm-hmm. I have. I, I my only personal debt is a mortgage. I will not go into debt. For growth, I'm very opposed to debt for growth. Mm-hmm. So the only way I grow is is with profit. So I I reinvest my profit into growth. Mm-hmm. And until I have sufficient funds to to grow, I I, I don't I, I don't focus on a new market and I won't focus on a new market.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. One of the things that I noticed and I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I'll just mention this in case there are other people out there. I think you're using the same telephone number for your three different listings. You have one in, in Brandon, one in Bradenton, and one in Tampa. Is, does that sound familiar? Or You mean
1: as far as the Google, the local, the Google local or Google, the maps?
0: Yeah. I'm, I've just been doing a lot of stuff with Google Maps lately. And one of the things that you really want to do is you want to have a unique phone number for each office. I'm not, I think that you have one off one phone number for all three listings.
1: So my, my website vendor is telling me that those should match, uh-huh. that they should be the same number because, and, and they, believe me, I, I don't know anything about this stuff. I rely, I rely on professionals to tell me, Sure, they're telling me that Google gives you credit for having the, the same number at, at, in all listing.
0: That's not quite my understanding. Okay. My understanding is that you're going to have lots of citations out there. So a citation is like a Yelp listing. Right? Mm-hmm. Every citation is it's going to have your name, address, your phone number, and maybe the website. So it's called, people call it NAP or NAPW. So these citations that you have out there, you want the citations for a given address to be consistent. Mm-hmm. So you want the phone number for your Bradenton office or your Tampa office to be consistent. So you're going to have three different listings on Yelp. Gah. And you want, Each of those Yelp listings, they're called citations. Each of these Yelp citations need to be consistent with your Google My Business listing.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Interesting.
0: What happens a lot is that people will have multiple offices and they use one phone number. Yeah. And then what will happen is that Google will not recognize those disparate offices as unique locations that will show up because they share the same phone number. I see. Now, it looks like, to me, like, it looks like... So it'll mark like one or more of those locations as duplicate. And, and mm-hmm. we're kind of getting into the weeds here. Right. Which is my fault because I, I spend a lot of time on this stuff. But you might want to consider – I don't think it's a problem right now, but you may want to consider having three separate phone numbers, but you would need to make sure that your citations right. then for your Bradenton office and your Tampa office also change. So, you, for instance, you would need to go into Yelp and Justia – And all these other places, and you would need to update your address for your, or rather your phone number for those locations.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Okay, so your review strategy is killing it. And the next area that really seems to have contributed to your success is. Bifurcated agreements, or what people call zero-down bankruptcies. So, when when did you get introduced to that, and how did you get started? So,
1: in, it was in 2015 when I started doing it. Actually, the attorney that's number one in Tampa right now, Robert Geller, he started it before me, and he told me that he was doing it, and uh-huh. he said you you should do you should do it too. <laughs> so, I looked into it, and I said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So, the firm Clark in Washington was here, and they were doing they were doing post data checks, you know, for post-petition fees. So, yes. um, and the, the U.S. trustee brought them into court and, you know, the judge said, you can't do that. But the judge did allow them to do something. And they had a follow-up hearing and Clark and Washington came back at the second hearing. They said, okay, judge, here's what we're doing now. And the the court said, okay, that, that'll work. And then they added a couple other little things. So the court basically said you could do a pre-petition retainer and get paid for the work that you do pre-petition mm-hmm. and then do a secondary retainer, a post-petition retainer after the case is filed for the post-petition work. And the court said you had to give them a 14-day window of opportunity to get out. after. So after they sign the retainer, they have 14, the post-petition retainer, they have 14 days to change their minds. And if if they decide they don't want you to finish the case for them, then you have to do a motion withdrawal. But you, you you have to represent them up until the time that the court Releases you from the case, and you you withdraw. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because the U.S. trustee was worried that they'd get a lot of people filing bankruptcy cases, a lot of attorneys filing bankruptcy cases, and then not have attorneys doing the post-petition work, and it would flood the courts with a lot of pro se people, and they they didn't really love that idea, and the the, the court kind of. Addressed that and said we have to you have to continue to represent them until you do a motion to withdraw and and get out of the case mm-hmm. but that that usually entails filing all the schedules and also usually providing a most all the documentation to the chapter seven trustee sure so most of the most of the heavy lifting is done at that point you know
0: well it has to be done post petition in order for you to justify your attorney's fees which Correct. if you're going to turn those attorney's fees into debt in order to survive the discharge, they have to be done post-petition.
1: Correct. That, that's correct. But the problem is, is that with the timeline the court puts us on, that work has to kind of get done between the time that we file the case and the time that we get out of the case. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're kind of on the hook for the work anyway, Sure. if the debtor wants to let you, know, let you loose. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little risky. And I think that might be why, you know, not more attorneys have done it in our area,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but we started it in 2015 and that's really, that was, that's, that's really one of the things that's gotten us to where we, we are now really is, uh, is, is the bifurcated agreement.
0: So, if people want to go back and look at the case law, the case is Walton v. Clarkin Washington PC and it was in the Middle District of Florida in 2012. Right. So, 2015, the the, the case law was pretty established for them.
1: Right. It was, but not still not many people were doing it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was at the time at, in 2015 there was still only there was only two of us that were doing it even though this case had come out. Mm-hmm. Cuz I think by then it was right around that time that I think Clark in Washington actually folded up and left our area,
0: and mm-hmm.
1: they're, they're no longer in Tampa. I know they're still up in Georgia and other places, but they they left Tampa.
0: Yeah, I know they're in Georgia. I thought they were in Miami, maybe in the in the southern district. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure.
1: Maybe, maybe. But I remember clearly when they closed up here because they had an office pretty much in Brandon, and so I had a lot of clients come to us that had been had formerly been with with their firm, you know, and they no longer. We're, we're doing
0: business there. So mm-hmm. Sure. So you've been doing bifurcated agreements, zero down bankruptcy since 2015. Well, my first question is nope. a bifurcated agreement not. doesn't necessarily need to be zero down. That's not my first question. That's correct. Did, is that, did you do zero down or no. did you make people pay? What did you do? What was your offer?
1: Uh, $499 for attorney's fees plus the filing fee the $335, uh-huh. right? So we, we were doing, it was it it was was $834 pre-petition, basically, mm-hmm. most of the time.
0: And what kind of close rate would you see on your leads? I'm not asking for exact numbers, but...
1: I, I mean, I, I can tell you the exact numbers because I track
0: it. <laughs> so it, it,
1: for, when I was doing the consultations, it was about 72%. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
1: I've replaced myself. I don't do the consultations anymore. And we're at 68% right now, which is an acceptable number for me, considering that I don't. I'm not doing them anymore. So
0: no, that's fantastic. I, I track all my numbers, leads, set, shows, hires.
1: I can tell you percentages for every single one of those things.
0: That's fantastic. So that offer that you're making of, of four ninety nine plus three thirty five, is that still the same offer that you're using today? No, it's actually.
1: I know this is probably counterintuitive because back then, at, when I was doing four ninety nine, there was no, there was really nobody else doing bifurcated agreements, and now there's multiple firms doing. Bifurcated agreements, and a lot of them are doing zero dollar down, but I actually went up. So now we're asking for—I uh, forget the exact number, but it's—we went up $190 on the prepetition amount. So okay, so it's a hundred—it's
0: on the prepetition amount. So that 499 is for the prepetition. Yes, correct. Okay. Uh-huh. That makes sense.
1: So now it's a little—it's right around—it's a little over six hundred, six six forty maybe or something like that—is what we're we're asking
0: for prepetition. Okay. Uh huh. And did that change your close rates at all? Or well,
1: so far I would say no because it's tax refund time right now. So mm-hmm. people, we—and this is a change I just made, probably in the last forty-five days, thirty days. Okay. Uh huh. It, it's tax refund time and more people have money that more money that they can put down on a bankruptcy during this time of year. Sure. And sometimes yeah. they have to put it down or else they'll lose it. You know what I mean? So because of their exemptions.
0: Yeah. If they have a ton of cash in the bank.
1: Cor- correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. We don't have, I know Florida is considered this big debtor haven and stuff, but our personal property exemptions are not that good. I mean, we have a fantastic homestead. Mm-hmm. But as far as personal property exemptions, it's, they're not that great, you know? So it's, it's hard to protect a lot of tax refund money, so mm-hmm. a lot of times the best thing they can do is use it to pay their bankruptcy lawyer. Really, you know? Sure,
2: absolutely.
1: It sounds
0: self-serving, and I always tell them that, but it's true. You know, <laughs> I believe in bankruptcy as a of way of improving consumers' lives, particularly when their back is against the wall. So, absolutely. To to my mind, the more bankruptcies, the more the we as an industry are helping people. So, uh, you're not going to get pushback from <laughs> So one of the things that you had mentioned is that you are collecting the bifurc- You're c- collecting the post petition payments yourself. Correct. Have you Have you been doing that since day one, or did you start with? Yes. Wow. So, tell day me. One. Tell me about that. Day one, we
1: started. Yeah. So I started with PayPal, which was which was not going to be a system that was going to be scalable uh-huh. because with PayPal, I was having, we were having to enter each payment every single time it came due, you know, so we have to, it, it was really cumbersome.
0: Also with PayPal, you as the, as the vendor have no control whether I use, let's say that I'm the debtor and I'm paying you, you have no control whether I pay with uh, my debit card that's attached to my bank account or my credit card, which I can imagine would be, be a big problem. Uh, well,
1: no, because we always ask, we always made sure it was a debit card. Okay. We, it it was part of the agreement, you know, that we had them sign that they would they would only use a debit card. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess they it, it wouldn't we wouldn't know whether they changed it and made it a credit card. But you know, then again, it's post discharge, so it doesn't. It's not like against the rules. They're not paying for the bankruptcy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With you know, they're not paying. Well, they're paying for the bankruptcy, but they're not trying to discharge that debt because they've already filed bankruptcy. Sure. But anyway we we made it clear that they had to use a debit card. So the problem though was is the it was as we got more and more agreements, it got pretty tedious. We had to keep a spreadsheet on what days the payments were due.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had to go in there and manu manually punch that in and and collect the payments. So uh, it was going to be it was going to get to be a lot. So I ended up using this program called infusionsoft and infusionsoft is a client relationship manager and they have a payment plan system in infusionsoft that i got a law pay account and linked it to the law pay account okay. so it it has the ability to, to do schedule and take auto payments on a regular schedule yeah so that that made things a lot better and a lot easier for us and then the other thing is it, it did too is it's like when the payment fails Infusionsoft will automatically send an email out to the client to let them know, hey, that you know something's wrong. The payment didn't go through. Sure. And we call, you know, we call, but it's a soft call. You know, it's a it's a friendly call. Hey, you know, your, your payment didn't go through. And usually, nine times out of ten, it's because the they got a new card or it's expired or you know something like that. That's usually what it is. Um,
0: sure. Or sometimes maybe they uh, they didn't they. Uh, yeah. Didn't, didn't get their hours. Uh, but it's almost jobs never because
1: they don't have the money. It, oh, really? it really is almost never because of insufficient funds. It's almost always the, the 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 card expired, or they got a you know they cha- they moved and the cha- their dress is different, or you know just something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That that's almost always what it is.
0: Sure. What kind of regularity or cadence do you do your collections? Is it weekly, biweekly? Do you match that to their pay? Their your-
1: Yeah, we do it whatever the client wants to do. So if they want to do it every pay period, we'll do it every pay period. Mm-hmm. If they want to do it once a month, we'll do it once a month. I just try to make it as flexible as I can to suit them. But also, you know, I try to get the fees paid in full within 12 months. Yeah. So the post-petition fees, I try to limit them to a 12-month fee. But if the circumstances require it, I will go, you know, I'll, I'll let them go up to 18 months to, to pay the fees, you know. So.
0: Okay. Let's say you're doing weekly payments. Right. Or let's say there's two payments per customer. Over the course of a year, if you take, you know, 35 filings a month and you multiply that by 12, uh-huh. because I don't to, well, yeah, it's 420. So the only thing about so that. Four, you could have
1: like, we're only, we're only doing about 70% chapter sevens and then not everybody is doing the payment plan. So some people do pay the full amount of, you know, before the filing. So
2: okay. I would
1: say about 70% of our sevens are on post petition payment plans. So, you know, it's the numbers are a little lower, but
0: uh-huh.
1: other than that, your example, your examples good.
0: Well, I mean, we could be talking about hundreds. I don't know if we could be a thousand payments a month. It's a lot. Now, your automated platform is going to it's going to work but how much how much how much work is involved in like what kind of staff do you need do you have a specialist that just focuses on payments
1: no not exactly so i have uh, a a staff person that sets the payment plan up with the client when they file and then she also follows up with them when the payment fails mm-hmm. she prints reports daily for the bookkeeper to put the information into quickbooks and
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and yeah, and so really, it's not that much time. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, if, mm-hmm. the, the the it it really doesn't take a lot of time to be honest with you. Sure. Ten hours a week. I'm gonna. say.
0: Okay. Are you kind of certified as a furniture of information to the credit uh, reporting agencies? Do you file a Metro Two report or no. someone? Okay, so you don't do that. No,
1: no. So I would. I I do I. I don't want to do that because i know that you know there's an argument to be made that it would help them rebuild their credit mm-hmm. but the flip side of it is i believe that if you ha- if you report you have to report the good and the bad that's true and i most certainly don't want to negatively impact somebody's credit you know after they file bankruptcy you know and I, I and i just can't do it i can just see the possibility of negative reviews because the client's not going to necessarily, I don't know how to explain this exactly, but I would definitely worry about negative reviews from that. Sure. You know, they get mad that you've impacted their credit negatively mm-hmm. and they, I can just picture the review now where they say that they came with you to get out of debt and re- help rebuild their credit and now you've negatively reported them to the credit reporting bureau and you're hurting their credit
2: mm-hmm.
1: all over and now they're right back to where they started from. You know, I just see that as a big downer. Sure and, and could lead to negative reviews that I just don't want to deal with, so I know that uh, I don't think very many of my clients will be listening to this, but uh-huh. you know when they don't when they when they don't pay and we've followed up with them you know, ten times, uh-huh. we just write it off and we stop, and that's it. that's the end of it. It's just my loss,
0: you know sure,
1: and uh, I'm okay with that
0: so what kind of credit underwriting do you do up front in order to make sure that they're good credits?
1: none none How much underwriting like do I look? E- Do I see if they're credit worthy and stuff like that?
0: Well, not looking at their credit report, but do you look at their salary? Do you look at anything? Well, yeah. I mean, if they don't have a job,
1: you know, we don't offer. We can't. We can't offer it. You know what I mean? Like if, unless they're on social security, you know. So if they have a regular source of income, you know, we will. We will offer it. Mm -hmm. The only, typically, the only way we wouldn't is if they just didn't have source of income. You know, if they don't have a source of income, then there's really no way to do it. You know, we have to get paid in full.
0: Is there a cutoff, like above, if they make a thousand dollars a month, would they qualify? Or? It's a
1: conversation that we would have with them to see. Typically, my payment, the payments are about one hundred and thirty-eight dollars a month mm-hmm. on, on my payment plans, give or take. Sure. So we we kind of we kind of do the calculation with them and talk to them about what whether or not that's something they can afford. Mm-hmm. And if if they don't think they're going to be able to afford it, then we start talking about other options, uh, other options to pay for the case. Sure.
0: Do you allow yeah. them to like other people can guarantee stuff like that? I haven't.
1: That's something I'm considering. Yeah, I went to a conference and somebody suggested that, and it's something that I've definitely been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Is 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 adding a guarantor mm-hmm. to to the agreement? You know, I think that that might be a good a good option. But then again, I really don't. I don't have any way to enforce it, though, other than lawsuit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not credit reporting, so um, the only way I could enforce it is a lawsuit. And, and just like I really wouldn't want to sue my client for the money and I won't sue my client for the money, mm-hmm. it would be hard for me to sue somebody's grandfather for the money, too. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, it would it would give me the uh, an option or at least the the appearance that that could happen, but I would absolutely never do it. Mm-hmm. And so because I would never do it, I don't even know if I would
0: offer it. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Well, let me just be clear. on what, what would happen? So let's say that I, you know, I was supposed to make a, you know, twelve payments of a hundred dollars to you, just to keep the math easy. Right. And then after seven months, so I've paid seven hundred dollars, I still owe five hundred dollars. Right. And then let's say I stop making payments and I ghost you. Now you're saying that the next thing that you would do is you would have to sue the guarantor. But what you could do is if you took the payment information from the guarantor you could just start taking $100 from my guarantor whose payment information you have. Oh, I see. I got so, you. Yeah, I got you. That's interesting. There's there's no lawsuit there. I mean, I suppose you would call them up and say, hey, listen, you're deadbeat. Not deadbeat. You know, Mr. So-and-so <laughs> listed you as a guarantor. You signed this, but, you know, this guy uh, is ghosting us, and so we're going to take the money from you. So, you, I mean, if you're legally allowed to do that, that's there's no lawsuit. The only lawsuit would be if the it would be indirect would be if the guarantor declared bankruptcy to get out of a, right. but why would they do that to get out of a small? Right.
1: No, I hear you. Yeah. They wouldn't. So definitely something to think about. Our, our, our collection rate is pretty good anyway. It's, it's good. You know, so we don't, I don't have the exact numbers.
0: Are you open with sharing that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's less than 10% default for sure. Cause like we get about six failed payments a week, but, uh, at least half of those, if not. 80% get resolved uh, in the same week that they decline, you know? So we've only written off maybe 10, 15 cases in the three, three and a half years we've been doing this. So we we do pretty well collecting it because people really do want to pay. I really feel like they're happy, you know, and they, they're happy to pay for it. You know, if mm-hmm. they can pay for it, they want to pay for it, you know, yeah. um, because they're happy with the result. You know, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. They
1: they think they think that we gave, we, we did, the, did, uh, a good service for them. And most people really do want to pay for the service that they receive. So I, I, I think that's it's important to them, you know, to, to pay it. Yeah. A lot of my clients have been, you know, when I meet with them, they held on for as long as they could, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they're they proud of their credit score. You know, some people come to me, they've drained their retirement account, but their, but their credit score is 800.
0: Oh, it's, it's so tragic.
1: Because because they just kept taking money. Yeah. They just take money out of their, you know, they they feel like they have this duty and an obligation, which is admirable, to pay their debt. But they, you know, they'll drain their retirement account to maintain their good credit. So, you know, it, it's a pride factor for folks. There There's a lot of people that are too proud to file bankruptcy or to really want to file bankruptcy. And I get that. But when it finally comes time for them to to have to do it, they want to go back to that person that they were before Mm -hmm. and they they take pride in paying their debt. They want to pay their debt, their new debts, because they know that they want to regain that good credit and and kind of in their mind, even though I'm not reporting it to them, it's an obligation that they have. And I feel like they think it's important that they pay it, which I'm thankful for. So, and and they're really happy with our service and they want to pay it. So I, I think that's the reason why most people, almost all end up paying us. And we're flexible. You know, we call them regularly. We call every time a payment goes through. This is something that seems weird. You'd think we'd call before the payment, but we don't. We call after the payment. We call every single client every single time to say thank you for your payment. Your payment went through. Is there anything going on with your You know, is there anything going on that
0: we need to know about? You know, is there anything you need help what? with? What? Yes. Every. That's that's ten. That's not that's not ten hours a week. That's, oh, I forgot that's, about that. That's I have yeah. somebody else. I have a different, <laughs> I have a different person doing that. Okay. <laughs> I forgot to tell you
1: that. Yeah. So every single payment, we every, we have we have we, they get a courtesy call from us after, which thanking them for their payment, uh-huh. going over the balance with them, and even though they get this in, in a written statement every time, but you know, and just making sure that everything's okay and that they that there's nothing that they need from us.
0: Okay, so if there's like, even if you have fifteen chapter yeah, 7s, it's a hundred, so um, yeah. it's a hundred eighty. Even if you had fifteen chapter sevens filings a month, it's a hundred eighty clients, and you're calling them up to four times. So let's say, that's like three hundred fifty to four hundred calls a month. So you have one person. Yeah, I have a dedicated. Okay. Yes, I do.
1: I have a dedicated outbound phone person. They do more than just the, those kind of calls. So they 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 follow up on my on my uh, leads too. So. They're, they're my out. They have an outbound phone rep that calls leads and makes these thank you for the payment calls.
0: Wow, where'd you get the idea for that? Because that's that's
1: yeah. So I have a I have a business coach, uh, I, and that's the other thing. 2015, I hired a business coach, and that's uh, also when I started turning things around. Mm-hmm. And what, that's when I decided to do the payment plans too. Is I told my new business coach about the about what my friend Robert Geller told me, and he said, absolutely, you should do that. (laughs) So, but yeah, I've learned a lot about running a law firm from, uh, and and his name's Richard James. He he has a uh, program for attorneys, you know, entrepreneurial attorneys to learn how to Uh, run their businesses better.
0: Would you say that the reviews and the bifurcated agreements are the kind of foundations of your Success in Berkshire. Correct, it is. It is, but there's.
1: But the other thing is too is is systems and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the systems is what I learned from, you know, from Richard James. Yeah we, we, I, like I, before, you know how I told you, I track everything. I didn't track anything before, you know, like <laughs> I, I didn't know, I didn't know where my cases were coming from. I, I didn't know, you know, I, I had gut feelings. Okay. Okay. I know we're getting a lot of cases from the internet, uh-huh. but you, you probably, you, because this is your business, you know, this probably better than I even understand it. But uh-huh. I did really well with fine law, with the website, with fine law, I started with a small site and I just kept growing it. And and I, my rep didn't have to sell me. I just kept calling him up and saying, what's next? What more can I do? Because the thing just worked. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it didn't. I went from getting all the leads I could possibly handle to getting none. And I had no idea why.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, and I actually, it took me a long time to even figure out that that's what happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I went from the first page of Google for any search you could find for bankruptcy in, in these areas that you talked about earlier to not even showing up at all.
0: Is this September twenties? 20- september twenty sixteen is that is that about when that happened no it was it was before that it was it was before that it was or twenty fifteen no it was before that okay
1: it was it, it, i think it was the penguin update you know or something like that uh,
0: okay yeah
1: uh-huh. um, and i think what it was was uh, there was all this black hat s e o going on with Uh, backlinks and stuff like that, I believe is what the actual issue was. But I, it it, it took me forever because I wasn't tracking the lead. I didn't even know how many leads I was getting,
2: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. say nothing about what source they were coming from. What was the lead source? Mm -hmm. So when things started going wrong, I didn't have a clue where to even look. To figure out what was going on, I knew that bankruptcies in general were dropping and the the business was going down. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just me; it was across the board. I I think that I dropped hard and fast because of my website, though. And if I was if I had some tracking systems, I would have figured this out a lot quicker, and the pain wouldn't have to have been as severe as it was. But now I I track everything all the time. I know every day how many leads I get, how many appointments we set, how many people showed up for the appointments, and how many hires we had. Every, every single day, I check it.
0: And what do you use to track? Is it Infusionsoft again? Or Yes. So, you're kind of using, you jury-rigged Infusionsoft to be your practice management. Software. No, it's not practice management. It's
1: solely client relationship management. Okay. But the reporting in there is phenomenal. So, we do, sure. we have uh I use Practice Panther for client management. Okay. But the relationship manager I use is Infusionsoft. I try to use one solution for both, and it just doesn't work very well. You know, there's just no product out there that's perfect for both. Um, But Infusionsoft, the the reporting and everything in Infusionsoft is so good Mm -hmm. that that's why I like it.
0: But it's hard to work with. I mean, yeah. you got you have to let go of your preconceptions. It's like using the force or something. You have to like let go and just become one with InfusionSoft. Right? How'd you pick that up? Well, Did you go to seminars or no?
1: I ha- so I'm a big believer, and I know this is hard hard to do when you don't have any money. <laughs>
2: yeah. When
1: things are going bad and, and you don't have any money, it's hard, and you don't believe in debt. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go into debt for things. Mm-hmm. It's hard to. Say I'm i gonna spend money on this, mm-hmm. but I did. I spent money. I, it cost me huh, like twelve thousand dollars to get my infusion soft set up. Sure, but I paid it because I was thinking long term.
0: That's great, yeah. It,
1: and and I sacrificed and used the money that I needed to at the time to get it set up, and it's gonna pay dividends for me for for a long time. So I, I believe in hiring professionals.
0: Well, also I I would probably argue you. You probably saved more than $12,000 just in turning off, you were paying fine law some amount of money. Just turning off the lead sources that weren't working, you probably saved $12,000 in a pretty short order. Definitely, definitely. A couple other quick things is that I saw on your website that you had that bankruptcy in Florida book. Is that a strategy that's worked for you? absolutely having a book is a
1: good is a good lead magnet really it's sets you apart a little bit as an author which creates a little bit of celebrity and makes people automatically kind of assume you're an expert Mm -hmm. so it's kind of known as ace authorship celebrity expert Mm -hmm. It, it definitely it definitely works
0: do you give that to prospects or
1: yes yes so everybody that schedules an appointment with my firm gets a copy of that book it serves a couple purposes it's uh so it's a lead magnet, number one. Mm-hmm. So we do, we do have ways for people to just request a copy of the book and then that gets them into our funnel
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they can, that's, that's what my outbound phone rep does as fo- follow up with folks like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause not everybody's ready to set an appointment for a bankruptcy just because they asked for a copy of a book, you know? Mm-hmm. So that person follows up with them. And, you know, on a periodic basis and, and, and tries to build a rapport and a relationship with them so that when they're ready, they'll schedule an appointment with us. Everybody's at different points, different stages of when they, when they start thinking about this and not everybody is ready right away. So it's important, I believe, to foster a relationship with them. And, and that's one of the ways that we do it. So the book is good for that, to, get, to get, lead, get people into the funnel, you know, so that we can start communicating with them.
0: So you're using it as a lead magnet, but right. just to you, you don't have to break down your entire funnel, but are are you sending them an ebook? Are you sending them a PDF? No. Are you no. f- mailing them it's, a, it's a copy our, of the book? Yes,
1: correct. I mean, so that does a few things for us, right? It gives it gives me a lot of their con- their information. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives me it, it gives us a reason to get their actual physical address, which sure. you know gives me the opportunity to send. It, it, if the emails start getting rejected, I can I can send send something through snail mail, you know, to them. And,
2: sure.
1: you know, so it's just another, another piece of information that we can get from them and a reason to ask for it or, or a reason to, you know, explain to the client that this is why we need it. Cause we're going to send you this free book in the mail.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then the other good thing it does is every single client that sets an appointment gets a copy of the book. And it just, I think that it helps let them know that they've scheduled an appointment with the right person, mm-hmm. once they get the book if they if they look at it, not everybody reads it, but a lot of them do read it, and they come in and they 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 feel at ease a little bit about the process already because we've talked about it in the book, and we've we've given them a little bit of sense of confidence that we're going to be able to help them, and that things aren't really as bad as they as it may seem, yeah, so they're a little bit more comfortable. And I think that it it kind of makes for a little bit easier close at the end because I feel like they come in almost with their mind made up already just because they've if they've read the book, they almost always retain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Another question I just wanted to ask you just because you're in an area where there is a large Hispanic population. Right. Does anyone in your office speak Spanish? Do you do anything to cater to that market? You know what? We do have Spanish speakers, and I have not – marketed to them. I have
1: not marketed to the Spanish population yet. That is definitely something that is on my agenda for this year. Sure. It's something that I've planned to do for a while but haven't had the time. Basically to it's we I've already had all my stuff translated into Spanish, my my bankruptcy packets and mm-hmm. you know all the retainers. I've I've done that stuff already. So the next step is to just start marketing to, to the Spanish, Spanish clientele Mm -hmm. that, that is, there are a lot of Spanish speaking folks in the area. And I've, it's, it's like I said, I've started, started the process, but I, I really didn't want to start doing it until I was ready, you know, and these were certain things that I felt like I had to do before I could get to the point where we're really actively seeking Spanish, Spanish, Spanish only speaking clients. But I, I have, I have four people on staff that speak Spanish. So we're definitely equipped to to handle Spanish speaking clients.
0: Let me just throw a couple ideas out there based off of my experience and the people I've spoken to. So, sure. The first idea is that you could take one of your offices, you could translate Brandon Lawyer in Span- uh, to Spanish, maybe make it Bankruptcy uh, Bankerota uh, something, you know, Tampa Bankerota something like that. Uh huh. And then you could use that as the website for your Tampa office. Mm. Interesting. And you could have your Tampa Google My Business listing, put it in Spanish, you know?
1: That's a really good idea.
0: Have the name not be Golden Law Group, but yeah, Golden Um, Look, I can barely say enchilada, okay? So I'm Tampa Bankerota. No, I know
1: what you mean, though. Yeah, I love that idea.
0: You're you're doing a full frontal, like, attack. You're sending in men to face machine guns, and they're just getting gunned down in Tampa. Because there's like a wall. And you're ranked twentieth. You're you're not ranked in Tampa, right? I believe that. But if you take that Tampa office, you're also making a classic. I won't say mistake, but everyone gets an office that's close to the courthouse. So right, you're. It's not a mistake because there's a benefit to doing it, but it's very competitive. Okay,
1: I gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: So. This would be a, a way of of getting in under the radar and 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 not really having any competition, right? Um, so that's the first thing. It's uh,
1: that 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 differentiates us for sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the second idea is that in two different markets, I've used Spanish ad AdWord ads in Spanish to generate phone calls, uh-huh. and they're giving away those leads, man. They're they're like. I have clients that are paying less than fifteen dollars per lead for a phone lead in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Wow! So wow. and for uh, English ad in competitive metro in English, I have people paying you know thirty-five to sixty dollars. But the span for the Spanish ads, there you can back up a truck for fifteen dollars a lead, and they convert just as just as much. And if you had a Spanish speaking staff, you already have the system. Yeah. So just put a Spanish speaking person into those different the same systems. That's what I would do. I don't have
1: a Spanish speaking attorney and our attorneys do do the consultations. Do you think that matters? No. I mean, I mean so we translate right, and what we do right now is we have a we, we bring in the uh, the staff member and they translate. Hmm. Would that does that work or no for what you're saying?
0: Right. The first thing is that for for a no asset chapter 7, and what percentage of your leads would you say represent that scenario? Uh,
1: well, I can tell you that Probably sixty-five percent of the cases we file are no asset Chapter
0: Sevens. Okay, so, so it doesn't. Sound, so if they're really a no asset Chapter Seven, you don't really. That's not a complicated thing. I could go in there and do that. No, I know. So no, I hear you. I got you. Yeah, you just need somebody to close it. So you just hire someone smart who's you know who speaks Spanish and they can do the no asset stuff. And then for the Chapter Thirteens, yes, you would have to hire a Spanish attorney. Let me ask you but you could also. A translation, a translator that could work. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, yeah, okay. So, does it have to be in person? Do you feel like the 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 consultation has to be in person?
0: No, no. I mean, you can do it okay. over the phone,
1: right? Because that I could definitely do that.
0: But you know, there's a whole thing where you know you've mapped out your front end marketing funnel to get to set appointments. But there's a whole thing where you know there are trade offs between if you if you have your if you have a telephone appointment very soon after the lead comes in, you're gonna have a high show rate for your phone appointments.
1: Right, for sure.
0: And then you could so you could right, do the sure. you could do that and then transition to an in person meeting and so that's after you have the phone hey. consultation and they show up for the phone consultation, that's something that you could gotcha. Yeah, my last question for you is that I did I always do a search for bankruptcy attorney in, you know, whatever city of the attorney that I'm interviewing. So I did a search for bankruptcy attorney in Brandon, and I saw your AdWords ads and I want to ask how how that's performing for you and how you're generating leads.
1: Terrible. Okay. <laughs> that's how it's performing for me. Terrible uh, uh, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Are you Terrible. Doing, are you doing those ads yourself?
1: Or? No. I don't do anything myself. <laughs> you know, I I, I believe in profession, using professionals, you okay. uh, know. And I'm not a professional person at ad, at ad copy, you uh, know, or AdWords uh, or anything. So sure. No, I have a website company that I pay a good chunk of money to do uh, an ad campaign, you Sorry. know, a PPC campaign for me. And I do not believe that it is performing yeah. <laughs> because I track it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing that jumps out at me is that you're talking about five-star reviews from clients in your headline, or at least in the headline that I saw. And that's you're competing against people that are talking about zero down, chapter sevens and chapter 13s. That's that's hard to compete with, with five-star reviews from clients. I get, I get, no, I hear you.
1: I, I right. So the five-star review is about me, and what I need to talk about is about them and how to make it a bit more about the client uh-huh. and not about me.
2: Uh-huh. And I,
1: I, I get, I see how that is not an attractive ad. Uh-huh. Um, my I, in, I will say this. My website vendor did call me and say, "Don, we are definitely seeing." a lot of these zero down ads. Yeah. And they asked me if I wanted to to run them. And uh-huh. I said no. I don't. Sure. I don't I, did, I don't want I didn't want to run them, you know.
2: Sure.
1: I honestly in, in in my opinion, I have to read this I have to read this opinion again. I printed it to read um I have to read this this Clark and Washington case again. But I don't think I don't think we can do what the typical zero down people do, which is file a skeleton petition you know, and then do all the work at the back end, really, you know, I I don't think we can do that with our order. You know, the way this order is written, I think we have to do a a good chunk of work before the filing. Or we're on the hook for it, even if we get out of the case. So I feel like I have to charge money on the front end, even if it's a relatively small amount of money. So I do not, I I don't want to, I've been reluctant to advertise zero down. Sure, sure because I don't want to file cases with no money down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I don't think I can really, according to this order, the way this order is written. Sure. And I do need to read it again. And I, it's been a while since I've read it. Yeah. I could I could be wrong. It could have just been a perception I had when I read it back in 2015, and I haven't really looked at it since. So I do need to read it again. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to follow exactly what the order says. And I've just been reluctant to advertise zero down. So one reason I, I get it, you know, the, my 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 ads aren't probably performing as well because I have that competition out there. And that's something I do have to think about for sure.
0: Well, just, you know, not just for you, but for the, everyone out there, you do want to focus on the benefits that you do provide. So, like, you know, five-star reviews from clients, okay, that's good. But, you you know, as an example, you do provide a payment plan for a big chunk of your your Chapter 7s. That's something that you're not mentioning in your current ad. Right. You're mentioning call the Golden Law Group and the body copy of your text. Who cares what the name of your firm is? Uh, sorry, that sounded a little flip, but you know, you do have to. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's it's truth. It's yeah. truth. It's not flip. It's
1: it's fact. So no, I, I, I take no offense to that. <laughs> Marketing can't be about me. It's not about me. It's about the client. That's what it should be about.
0: So if it's instead of our firm helping people work through their financial difficulty, you want to be on the same side. So like... You know, you're saying we help you work through your financial difficulties, you know, stuff, something like that, that I think would be a little bit more powerful. Those are some incremental changes that you can make.
1: I was just going to say, I really appreciate you pointing these things out to me. I meet with my website vendor every single week.
0: Okay. And
1: I'm not happy with my landing pages.
2: Sure.
1: You're pointing out some very important things that I need to talk to them about now too. Mm -hmm. They may end up firing me just because I'm I'm a pain in the neck, you know, because (laughs) You know, I hold their feet to the fire because I know the numbers. Man, I know what we're getting for. I know what it costs me per lead, and I know, I know what this stuff costs me, and it's too much.
0: I mean, just looking, all I have are bankruptcy clients, and this looks like a hundred twenty dollars per lead. Ad. it's more than that. <laughs> it's more than that. Okay, so competing against the the competition that you have, it may be it may be hard to to compete, but there's a way. There's a way. There's a lot of improvements that you yeah, you shouldn't be paying what you're paying but you know it's an iterative process and look at least you know your numbers man most of the people i talk to have no idea so i'm impressed by
1: that <laughs> well it's it's not me it's things i've learned from coaches you know i believe like i said i believe in i believe in coaches and i believe in paying professionals to do what they do you know and uh, so a little, okay so for the month of january it was 144 dollars and thirty cents. okay which is about what you said right but in october Three seventy six, November two oh three, December four hundred ninety four dollars. Horrible. When I started, I didn't start this part until October. So for that three month average, it was three hundred forty two dollars a lead in branded.
0: Why are you running ads? You you seem so focused on on your numbers. Why would you shoot yourself in the foot every month and just burn money? I hear you. Yeah, it's something
1: that we're talking about right now. Okay. It's a conversation that we're having on a weekly basis. <laughs> you know, the first thing I wanted to do, I, I didn't like this. I didn't like the landing pages. Yeah. So I, I had them redesign and we do their landing pages because uh-huh. I felt like they weren't they weren't set up to convert. Sure. So I wanted to give them time with the with the new landing pages, and that just ended up that just
2: happened. Okay.
1: So the landing pages just got redesigned. So I kind of wanted to give them a little bit more time with the revised landing pages to see if that might work.
0: Awesome. The one thing that I would say to you is that you meet with your clients, uh, you meet with your vendor once a week. I meet with my clients once a week, and I'll tell you this. The clients who meet with me once a week, they make money. They double their filings, you know?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The, The clients who are like, hey, they're just, you know, yapping about how their leads cost too much or they don't talk to me about improving Their close rates, or they can't calculate what their close rates are. Those are the clients that you know I get fired from, which is fine. Right. The clients, the clients I meet with weekly, those are the clients that make money. So I would not feel bad about demanding a weekly meeting. I'm kind of thinking of going the, the, you know, I'm on the flip side. I'm a vendor. I'm kind of thinking about firing my customers that won't meet with me once a week, or at least uh, Mm -hmm. once every two weeks, because if you don't believe in that marketing is important, and you're not going to make changes based off of what the number suggests that i I mean yeah in defense of some of your clients
1: it's hard when you're doing all the day-to-day work to to get into this stuff
2: yeah
1: i've been fortunate that i've been able to pretty much replace me myself for the most part in the day-to-day legal work Mm -hmm. and this is pretty much what i do full i mean my full-time job really is is this you know it's doing stuff like this Mm -hmm. reviewing the numbers and Talking to the vendors and hoping you know trying to maximize our leads and trying to improve our set rates and all this stuff. this is what I do pretty much full time now and so for the for a lot of attorneys that are kind of still grinding doing consultations it's it's hard to get into this so you're tired and but for me, I love this stuff oh. you know I have an accounting degree i love I love the numbers so but I, but I have made time for myself because it's the role that I've wanted, you know? So that's, that's the benefit of being able to be profitable is you can hire people to replace you in the roles that you don't enjoy as much and, and focus on the roles that you do like. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's the business side of the practice is what I really enjoy.
0: That's awesome.
1: Now I love helping people. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't think you can be a bankruptcy lawyer without loving to help people and wanting to help people. And, and that was, that's important to me too, but as far I, I just am at a point in my life now where I don't want to do with the day-to-day practice of law anymore. I still want to run a firm that the, the main goal of the firm is to help people. Mm-hmm. But I want to, I want my role to be the business man, you know, business management sort of side of the firm, you know,
0: yeah.
1: um, because it's that's that's the kind that's what really fuels my fire right now is building building the business.
0: Have you read Emith Revisited*?
1: You know, I haven't read that. I've read a lot of business books lately, but I haven't read that
0: one. Oh, that's just a book about just the importance of systems. It's by Michael. Mm-hmm. Let me see if Google can save me. Oh, Michael Gerber. That's it. And uh, right, it's it's a lot of a lot of people. It's their first introduction to systems, but but you got that introduction from your from your from Richard James, your business coach. From so. my business
1: coach. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I read, I read my 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 business author go, my go-to business author is uh, Mike McCallowitz, You know, with Profit First, and uh, his latest book, Clockwork, is awesome.
0: Yeah, I've read them both. So, uh, pumpkin Plan. Have you? It's, yeah.
1: Pumpkin, pumpkin Plan. That's yeah. the
0: reason I specialize in bankruptcy attorneys. You know. Nice. So.
1: Right. You found you found your niche.
0: Yeah, this is a great place to end up. Before I end, I want to challenge you on one thing, which is that you're being modest, and you, you've said it several times that you know, you've been lucky with coaches and, and things, But you know, I talked to a lot of bankruptcy attorneys, and you're doing a lot of things right. And there's no way that that happened by accident. And you can't give all your credit to your business or you can't give credit to this random vendor that you talked to because about, you know, why re- <laughs> reviews were important. You've given a lot of credit away in our call. But I just want to point out that your reputation vendor didn't get you 71 reviews for your brand in office and your business coach didn't, decide to write a check for $12,000 for your infusion cell software, so you could systemize the front end of your business. You, you're you the one who did that. So I'm going to say hats off to you. Right. I, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I definitely had, to, you have to take the advice that you get and implement
1: it for sure. Yeah. And sometimes that yeah. does take, that sometimes that does take a leap of faith. Sure. You know? So, yeah, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Well,
0: that's a great note to end on. I want to thank you for, for joining us and for sharing so much with us. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Awesome. Bye.